0: Good morning, family. Today's words from God are from the book of Malachi. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, the Lord's love for Israel. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau... Jacob's brother declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. All glory, honor, and praise to our father. Let our lives and all we say, think, and do Glorify him.
1: We are in the first chapter of Malachi, which is uh truly exciting. I'm uh, Michael's excited. Um I mean this book comes straight in and starts uh getting to work very quickly. So I don't I, I know I heard from a few folks throughout the week um about their their reading uh this week. It's 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 always so fun when we do these books that are a little smaller, right? That we can we can read inside of a single week. Um we said we said last week that this this book is is made up of 55 verses, four chapters, 1,781 words. And so if, uh, if the average person reads 200 to 300 words a minute, on the 200 end, you're at 8.9 minutes to read this book. Um, and so if we if we read it each day throughout the 12-week study, that'll have been 84 reads or a potential of 747.6 minutes. Uh, reading in the Word, which is awesome. And you're reading it from, from beginning to end. You're getting the full context, the full scope of what the prophet Malachi shares from God. And the more that you do these kinds of things, the more that your mind starts to think in the terms and the words of Scripture. Um, that's always so interesting about a Bible reading plan. You know, I, some, some people just do the same one every year. Some people don't do one. Um, I, I like McShane. When I am in a reading plan, I like the McShane plan. And, and if you follow the same one year after year, I think it was John Piper pointed out that you really start to see things seasonally, right? Because you remember where you are in that reading plan, right? Maybe if you do a chronological reading plan around March, you're in, you're, you know, you're reading about genealogies, right? And you're just trying to make it, you're trying to survive that portion of your reading plan. Um, that's why I like McShane, because that's still true, but you've got like Psalms or Proverbs and you've got other things going on all at the same time. Um, but that's the challenge for, for this, this book study as we spend 12 weeks together. It's a pretty quick, pretty quick book story, uh, book study. Um, so as we spend 12 weeks together, just to be reading it every, every day, uh, it's very attainable. Um, and I know, uh, I think John is keeping, so, um, shoot John a text. We'll put his, his cell phone number up here before we go today. So shoot a text of how quickly you're making it through, and he's working on a little gift for whomever does it uh, the fastest. It's something that he's, he's, do, he's doing. I saw his craft table was all set up the other day, so it's cool. And so now we, we're getting ready to open this book, and, and as we do, we'll see it refocusing on a couple of different aspects of God's character, which was so appropriate this morning in Sunday school. We, we went over... Um, we went over the, the concept of worship. What does it mean to biblically worship? What is biblical worship of God? Um, and J.D. took us through that. And this book focuses on the love of God and the sovereignty of God. And th- when, you, when you're focusing on God's love and the sovereignty of God, worship is the outflow of that. When you truly understand what it means that God is sovereign, You become worshipful when you really start to understand that. A missionary that was sent from our church one time uh, tried to sound cool, and he said something about that that makes God more robustly sovereign. I was like, man, that is such a cool-sounding statement, but it means nothing at all. Because God is either sovereign, and that's complete, or he's not sovereign. He can't be degrees of sovereign. Sovereignty is all or nothing. It's a zero-sum game. And so before we we dive in, the concept of sovereignty is going to be very important to the book of Malachi and certainly very important to these first five verses. So let's touch on that just a little bit. Um, We'll look first at Job uh, chapter 42 and verse 2. Job chapter 42 and verse 2. There's a point at which Job is getting some correction directly from God. It's rather uncomfortable. It comes in at least two waves. You know, one wave passes and Job says, okay, okay, I get it. And God says, no, no, no. (laughs) <laughs> Stand up like a man, there's more. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now that all is one of those universal alls. It actually means all. It means everything. It's all-consuming. I know that you, God, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And that should be encouraging because God is a God of love. He's fair and he's just. And so everything that he does is fair and just. And so this all-loving God who can do all things can't be moved off of his purpose. God is all-powerful and nothing can interfere with that. He has the right to take every action that he takes, and he's justified in taking every action that he takes, which is why when our salvation comes, he is just and fair in our salvation because it's not that he winks away any guilt. It's not that he winks away any sin it's not that he winks away any wrong that has been done to anyone, any wrong that's been done against his character. It was all actively punished on Christ. And so he's just in forgiving us because it's not just winked away. Um, if you were to go on our website and look at our statement of faith, it would say that we are convinced by Scripture and reason that God is sovereign. would also say that he is immutable, and we cite Malachi 3.6. And when I think of sovereignty, I think of, maybe you've heard this, so just, just hang out for a minute if you have. Um, there was a time when I was going to a place with some friends called Salt River in Arizona, which is on a, um, it's a tribal, it's a reservation. And there were some police officers in the helicopter that were interested in having a conversation with myself and the driver of the car that we were in at the time. And apparently they were hovering over us in this helicopter, speaking to us from a a loudspeaker. We get onto this reservation and some tribal police drive up in a golf cart. We still don't know that the police are keenly interested in speaking with us. The tribal police drive up and ask what we're doing that day. And we tell them, well, we're here to be on your, your reservation and we want to float down the Salt River on tubes. And they say, "Okay, you guys can go ahead. And they wave the sheriff's helicopter off. This is sovereignty. They're allowed to do that. This is their land. They have total control. No one comes on to tell them anything. They're sovereign. And so in in all of those ways, and even more, God has complete and total sovereignty over everything that he's created. We forget sometimes, we think that we're very powerful, but we're not. We're creatures. We're creatures of God's creation. And he loves us because he loves us, but we are creatures. And so we only understand things from a perspective that creatures understand things. And so a sovereign, all-powerful God who created absolutely everything, including the order that we live inside. Time only exists because the planets move around at the same rate relative to one another. We see sun up and sun down, which really doesn't mean anything. It just means that things are going in the order that God created them. And so all of this exists because God said it would be so. And when he decides to stop, it will then cease to exist. God is sovereign. And so that said, we see God's choice in Malachi. God will speak through the prophet Malachi and make clear how he has chosen these people. And I think one of the, one of the very important things to recognize is that God is letting them know all the areas that, they have, that they're in error all of the areas where they're separated from him. But we can't lose sight of the fact that he's coming to them. He's coming to them not to, not to pronounce judgment against them. He's coming to them so that they'll repent. So that they'll turn. So that they'll change. This is not an, an edict to say that you guys are awful and you'll never be right. He's telling them how to be in line with him and his character. And so we'll look at it from that perspective, but we'll also take, we, we, we have the benefit of being on this side of the cross, having the whole of revelation that God's given us, all 66 books. And so we'll take two perspectives on this text. We'll understand it the way that these people would have received it, and then we'll understand it in light of the New Testament scriptures. So looking at verse one of Malachi chapter one, we read, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, depending what Bible that you have in your hand, if you have a, an, an ESV, a, an ASV, an NIV, an NRSV, a, say a newer word for word translation, it probably says oracle. Um, if you have a, a King, King James or a New King James, it probably says burden. Some commentators, older commentators specifically, um, like John Calvin, would say burden is the right way to describe this. So Malachi has this burden or has this oracle, which are the words of the Lord, it says. Um, And this is a pretty unique mention, actually. We don't see that a lot. Often we'll see that that people are speaking as they're carried along or something similar the closest wording to this would be Zechariah 12:1 which says the oracle of the word of the lord here in Malachi we see that this oracle this burden is written to a specific people he says that this is to Israel by Malachi it's almost as though agency or power is being given to the word of god to bring this word this oracle this burden to Israel um, in, in Scripture, often when we're looking at things and trying to understand them a little better, we'll look for the first mention of a concept, first mention of a word. Um, the, the first mention of a messenger in Scripture would be in the book of Exodus, chapter 9 and verse 35. The, the scene, when we talked about it last week with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Um, so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So this is a similar burden or oracle coming as the word of the Lord, as through Moses to Pharaoh, coming through the agency of God out of Malachi, specifically to Israel, now Israel here is kind of interesting because we you know we're in post exile. So this is the post exilic people. The tribes are kind of jumbled up, people aren't as clearly divided perhaps as they were before. They've regathered. We're in the period here where we're looking at um Ezra, we're looking at Nehemiah. Remember the temple is being rebuilt. Um we'll see in a little bit the first time the scrolls are being opened back up. In fact, If you look at Nehemiah 8, verse 9, you'll see what happens. I I love this. I I love this scene because these are people who have been regathered. They're they're, they're gathering together for the purposes of of God. They want to worship Him rightly, but they've not seen the Word in a long time. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord God. Do not mourn or weep, for the people all wept as they heard the words of the law. They've not, they've not been hearing from the scrolls. They've not been hearing from the word of God, and it just cuts them so deeply as they're hearing it. What is it that's cutting them? I don't know. Conviction? Majesty? All kinds of emotions, I'm sure, are stirring up as they're hearing the word again for the first time in a very long time. We actually see across a lot of these uh, post-exile books, um, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. If you notice, three of those were on our list of the, of the 12 minor prophets are all post-exile often these people are reminded that they are Israel, which has got to be great encouragement from God. Right? You, you, are the, you are the chosen people of Israel. Even though you're not in the individual tribes that everything was separated into, you are Israel. And so now this burden oracle coming through Malachi is being spoken to these people, and it's being given to Israel. It's got to be encouraging to hear. Verse two, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. And so very quickly, this gets interesting. If you've been floating around in church circles for some time, um, you know, we, we hear, Jacob, I've loved, Esau, I've hated. Maybe you've got some baggage around that. Maybe you say, well, shouldn't it say loved less? I would say, no, you should not. But before we get there, let's look at how this oracle, which is from God through Malachi to Israel, starts with encouragement I have loved you. This is the word of God to the people of God about to bring a lot of correction. And he starts out with a reminder. I love you. I think that's so important to remember that God is coming to a people who are confused, who are doing wrong by him. And he reminds them straight out of the gate before anything. I love you. And then it picks up with this kind of a dialogue where God assumes what he knows about people. He assumes some of the issues that they have. And he starts to describe that through Malachi. Now, God could have come under lots of pretenses to the people. He could have come and said, like, you know, a parent would be characterized sometimes, right? When a kid keeps asking why, 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 what do we say? Because I said so. Which means, shh, and do the thing I said. Go clean your room. Why should I clean my room? And then the cops come to the house again, you know. I'm kidding. <laughs> he could have just said, I'm God, do what I say. Remember, he's sovereign. He's sovereign. He has every right to do whatever he wants to do, but he, his character is also loving. So he acts out of love. He acts in line with his own character. He's not constrained by it. It is him. It's not that he's like, gosh, I want to do this thing, but that wouldn't be loving, and I have to pretend to be loving. He is loving. Everything that flows out of him is perfect love. Not like the Hallmark Channel love. Like real love. Not that there's anything wrong with the Hallmark Channel. It's great. John and I, Actually, John was just over at the house last night. He popped some popcorn. We watched like two specials back to back. But he comes to them personally with a directed, personal love for his people to encourage them, to prepare their hearts to hear what he had for them. And that's important to this whole book because these post exile people who are struggling. With faithfulness because of their lack of much. Right? I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, these are people that are just cobbling back together. They're trying to rebuild, they're trying to figure everything out again. They don't have very much. They're like, God, you love us? We don't even have the basic things that we need in order to survive. We're we're in danger out here. I mean, you read the you read the book about the the rebuilding of the walls, right? The, you've got a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. People are working. You know, night and day, you've got enemies like Sanballat, all these very powerful people who are trying to descend on these people, and they're just trying to get a wall built to keep their families safe. And so maybe God presupposes their position of their their hearts and who they are. They're like, God, do you really love us, though? Look, if you loved us, would you leave us like this? Which was interesting because the pre-exile people were on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. We read in Hosea chapter 13 verses 4 through 6 about these people and, and this kind of position. And, and you know it well. Um, maybe you're like this. When things are going well in your life, like if, if you had a prayerometer, a prayerometer, if you will, um, things are going well, the prayerometer is probably low, right? You just wake up and you're happy, right? Maybe you're enjoying your job. Maybe you're in a particular season where things are great. You're not, maybe you're not praying much, right? But when things get tough, all of a sudden, you want God's counsel because we want him to fix things for us, right? And that's, that's okay, right? The, the wanting God to fix things for us, I think mean, that's fine. There's so many psalms across the scripture that are called imprecatory psalms. They're my favorite, right? Where the psalmist comes to God and says things like, break their teeth in their mouth. So frustrated and just pouring out in truth. But the, the opposite side of that is we should also pour out in praise. God, I'm enjoying this season of my life right now. You're awesome. Thank you so much for these blessings. Therein lies the secret to life, right? That, that actually Paul would talk about is that, that satisfaction. Hosea 13, 4 through 6 reads, But I am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt, you know no God but me. And besides me, there's no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore they praised me. Therefore they forgot me. And that's what can happen in our prayer lives. We forget to be thankful towards God. Jesus' model prayer, give us this day our daily bread. When's the last time we asked God to feed us, fill our stomachs? I don't know about you, but filling my stomach is not... The problem, it's, uh, you know, I ride a little exercise bike at home to not be, you know, just to stay in this state of constant chunkiness because I eat so much, right? I pretend to go somewhere on a bicycle. It's got to look ridiculous. Or, you know, if you ever go down 2nd uh, Street, downtown, uh, downtown Harrisburg, right? You see all the people in the YMCA running towards the river but getting nowhere, right? I mean, is that not just the pinnacle of, of, of an insane society? We run on this thing that takes us nowhere so that we can burn off all the food that we ate because we just like eating a lot. (laughs) But praise God for it, man. I'm here for it. But we need to be thankful to God in these kinds of seasons. Now, if you take your prayerometer and you turn it into a chart, because I like charts. I like uh, pie charts of bars and bar charts of pies. And so if you take a chart of your prayer seasons, okay, and you put that up there and 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 you're able to plot when things were going well versus when things were going poorly. Now, you take another chart, you're going to lay that on top, and it's your growth, your seasons of spiritual growth. Where is God really doing things in your life? I would suggest that we tend to grow a lot when God is challenging us and when things are tough. But I would also suggest that if we would turn towards God in seasons of much, He'd grow us there as well. We would learn to be thankful, learn to be people of praise, learn to be people that are worshipful. Like Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And sometimes we forget that. We forget to glorify and enjoy God. We can walk around as Christians like people of drudgery whose lives are awful. Hey, how are you? Uh, I worked a triple, not getting any sleep. I'm just working so hard. You're like, well, stop. Quit doing that, man. That's not smart. You should probably hang out a little bit, enjoy your life, enjoy God. He's fair to you. There's some people around the world that love to have your problems. Philippians chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. This is a guy qualified to make this statement. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity See, that's about more than eye black, right? And quippy statements and performing well. It's about our satisfaction in Christ. That everything about my life, I'm looking for satisfaction. Everything about my life, I'm enjoying the things that God is doing for me. And I want to look for those things on purpose. In a lot and in a little. And I love that he focuses on a lot and much and happiness before he focuses on the opposite side of that coin. Because really... That's where we need the focus. That's where the wheels start to fall off the bus. Because when things go bad, the first thing we do is pray. God, take this from me. Verse 2 of Hosea 1. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau... I've hated I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. There is prophecy in the book of Ezekiel that talks about this this very thing um, the the people that grow out of Esau Edom in ezekiel twenty five verses twelve and fourteen The Lord prophesies, thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast. I will make it desolate from Timon, even to Danon. They shall fall by the sword and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom. By the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do an Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath, and they shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord God. This is not a prophecy I would want to have written about me. This would be used to describe how God loved Jacob rather than Esau. God loved Jacob not Esau, before they were born. You can see that in Genesis 25-23. Paul draws on the same concept in Romans 9. Because not all of Israel is elect. Not all of national Israel was God's elect. And you can, you can argue that with me if you would like, but you may not argue that with Scripture and that's what you would have to do. You would have to argue with Scripture. Romans 9, six says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Jesus started pulling on that thread first. See it in... Two locations, Luke 3.8 and Matthew 3.9. Luke 3.8 says, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Matthew 3.9 And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And so, specifically here, the New Testament understanding that we have the benefit of this perspective helps us to understand the Old Testament concept of Jacob and Esau, which we could spend months on. Esau was the father of the Edomites. He was also the son of Isaac and Rebekah, grandson of Abraham and Sarah. And we remember some of those stories. They're both in the same exact lineage. From birth, maybe Esau made himself older. Later together, stole a birthright, confusing his elderly father. Never could get ahead, though. And God said in Genesis 25-23 that the older would serve the younger. And we see that revelation from God to pregnant Rebecca, bear out. Ezekiel 35-15. I know we're all over the place. Forgive me. You're going to sprain your fingers. <laughs> As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel because it was desolate, so I will deal with you; you shall be desolate. Mount Seir and Edom, all of it, they will know that I am the Lord. Now we're gonna we're gonna pin a thought. Again, we said we're going we're to go back and forth between, between Malachi and, and the scriptures behind it in the Old Testament, but we're going to take perspective still from the New Testament because the New Testament helps us understand the Old, and in understanding both together, we get a better understanding of who God is, what his character is. Don't believe that there's a, there's a God of wrath in the Old Testament and there's a God of love in the New Testament. That's just silliness. God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's not changing. He's immutable. He deals with us differently based on our position before him. Now we have the ability to be positioned before him either in Christ or not in Christ. It's a very binary decision. That's it. You're in Christ or you're not in Christ. There's no way to God except to demand Christ Jesus. So hold a spot, if you would, in the book of Second Peter chapter 1, and just put your finger on verse 10. We're going to hover a little bit before we read it. I want to talk a little bit about that relationship um, that God uses to give a contrast for His special love. Maybe you've been to like theater before. You know they have these really cool spotlights called like a pin light, and you'll you know there's somebody up there that's like me that has no talent that couldn't act or something like that, and so they would run this this spotlight, right? And when you want the audience maybe to to emphasize or pay attention to a certain part of the story, maybe the stage lights go. Dim, or maybe they get really dull. Or if somebody's going to have a um, a um, um, a solo, right? The the the, the pin light gets really focused and shines the light brightly on that person, and everyone kind of fades to the back. That contrast helps us know where we're supposed to pay attention. And so that's what God is doing with this story of Jacob and Esau, and that's what the Malachi is drawing on is this this choice that God has in His sovereignty between these two, that He's made a very clear decision. These are people from the exact same lineage. And so God wants us to refocus on this story. He's, through the prophet, he's having his people refocus and realize it's I that choose. Everyone, you know, these two are from the same lineage, the same grandparents, the same parents. They're brothers. In fact, one is the older brother, and everything about that culture would have seen the age order, right? Who, who's going to get the blessing, and who's going to have the inheritance? And so he uses two brothers from the same line, and he reminds Israel, he reminds the post-exiled Israel that he chose who he would covenant with. He would be faithful to them. Even still, they had a responsibility to him with that relationship. So it's not that everybody that was gathered inside of these walls was God's elect, necessarily. There were still people that his elect, his, his chosen people were going to respond to him. And so he calls to them, and they will respond. His calling is effective. His calling and election is sure. And so when God calls, when the voice of God comes to someone who is his elect, they will respond. It's not that he knocks on the door of their heart and says nice things and gee whiz hopes they'll come to him. Because why would we pray for anyone's salvation if that was the way it worked? We would have to get really busy and really sharpen up the way that we speak. We'd have to really hone our message. And we should want to do those things. We should want to be able to give a reason for the hope and the faith that lies within us. But ultimately, the responsibility lies on God. And so what that should do is make us want to share the gospel more. Because we don't have to find somebody that might be receptive. We don't have to find someone that might be friendly. We have to share the gospel. We have to share the gospel message, and God's people will respond to that. Some sow, some water. So if you've gone out and you've shared the gospel message, and you've been shot down, that's okay. Keep sharing it. Move on, share it with others. Other people will continue to to water that seed. And if that is someone who God's going to get, guess what? He's going to get them. So to drive in our focus on sovereignty, we see that God not only chooses a line in Abraham, but he chooses one of the two brothers so that we would not think that this salvation is just nationalistic that he just picked the bloodline and went with it. He still decided even between two brothers. And if that does, doesn't sit comfortably with you, I would encourage you to look at the Scriptures for yourself. Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. Now you can say loved less, that's fine. One is Israel. One is not. Romans chapter 9 and verse 16. And I know you're holding on 2 Peter. Stay there. Romans chapter 9 and verse verse 16 says, So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And so he calls us to refocus through Malachi's burden, through his oracle, through the very words of God flowing through Malachi to Israel, the people that he has chosen. He encourages them to change some things about themselves. And his elect will respond to this. Because individually, they need repentance and to follow. It's still the same today. We still need to repent. It's not that God just kind of swoops in and saves all people. His desire is for a broken, contrite heart. He calls on us. He, By his mercy and by his grace, he allows us to see that we have sin. And then he allows us to react to the only rational option, which is the man Christ Jesus. There's no other way, right? It's not like you put either side of the scale and you see where does it, you know, where is it kind of, this is a very clear decision. When you see the truth of the gospel, there's, it's not a decision. It's you just take a right action in response to the truth. So the question becomes, what is the truth? Like I said to uh, some Mormon uh, young men, that I invited to the house with barbecued steaks in the back, Stood around my grill and talked, and at some point I said, "Guys, everything you're saying is, you know, interesting, in the same way that you know calculus is interesting or the movie Pi is interesting. But at the end of the day, we both have a different version of the gospel. And the the Bible says that if one comes with a different gospel than we've revealed, let them be like anathema to you. So the most important thing that we can talk about is what is the gospel." Because one of us is apparently wrong if ours is different. So all of these other things, you know, soul sleep, sounds cool. What are the different names of the angels? Sounds neat. Which planet are you going to get? I'm going to be honest, it's getting a little weird for me. But the gospel is what we should really dive in on. That's what's of the most importance. So look down at your placeholder, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. And notice the second word that we're going to read. It's addressed to someone, to a group of people. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. The second word says that this is to believers. Hey, believers, Hey, those found in Christ, be even more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Because if you practice these qualities, you're in Christ and he's in you. And he is working out these things in you. I think sometimes we, we forget to be introspective. We forget to look at, are there, is there fruit in my life? What is God doing in my life? If I'm a believer, he's not just going to leave me stagnant. He's going to be doing things. He's going to be working through me. And if I'm not seeing that, if I'm in a season where maybe I'm not seeing that, it's okay. It's time to refocus. Remember, in the book of Malachi, God comes with a burden or an oracle through Malachi to his chosen people, Israel, with words of correction before first reminding them, I love you. And because I love you, let's talk about these things, right? We call that the come-to-Jesus meeting. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need to be reminded. Hey, your countenance is down. I said countenance. I mean, you, you, you seem like you're bummed out. You seem like you're angry. What's going on in your life? Is, 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 are you struggling with something? Is something going on? That's why we need one another. right? Because we recognize patterns in each other's lives. And we say, hey, usually when you're like this, I know you've told me before, kind of sometimes you struggle in your prayer life, and that, this is kind of how that works out in your life, are we can act as smoke alarms for one another, right? Rather than just walking in the room and saying, hey, brother, how are you doing? Great, how are you? Maybe we, you know, yeah, it's a, a weird season. Usually I get up and I, I really want to read my Bible. Lately, I've been struggling with that. Oh, let me pray for you in that, you know, work through it. I'll give you a call, check, see if you read tomorrow. Those kinds of things, right? That's the Christian life want to be after God, hotly pursuing a God that pursues us. And we're encouraged, even as believers in 2 Peter, to be even more diligent to confirm our calling, because it encourages us. And it reminds us, when we do that, when we're confirming our calling and election, it reminds us to act as Christians. It reminds us that we shouldn't be treating people poorly, and especially our fellow believers, to appreciate one another, to appreciate God. It keeps us keeping a short account. And so we too, then as New Testament believers, should also desire to refocus. And when we refocus, starting with his love for us, like the pattern he has in Malachi, we refocus remembering God loves me. I don't don't even get it. Sometimes I don't even like me. Like I feel like I'm a bit obtuse or sandpapery or gritty. But for whatever reason, God loves me. That should change in a moment. That changes us like that. To know that the all-knowing, all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe loves you as an individual person. Not nationally. As a single, called-out individual who he knows every hair on your head. Some of you, that's easier to remember than others. I might be looking at you, J.D. That's encouraging. And then to remember, he's sovereign. That should encourage us. And if you struggle with the sovereignty of God, I'm going to tell you like a friend of mine did when I was first kind of coming to understand uh, the character and the nature and the will of God. I shared with a brother of mine, there's some things that I'm just struggling with. Like, Why would God do this? He's like, oh, you're struggling with it. I got you, I got you. He's like, here's what I want you to do. Does your Bible have a concordance in the back? Like, yeah. He said, well, you you named off like two or three things that you're really struggling with. So why don't you look those up in the concordance, all right? If you take about two or three days, you'll be able to get to all those concepts that you're struggling with. So mark those in your Bible. I was like, okay. Where are we going from here? This guy's smart. Mark those in my Bible. He's like, then what I want you to do for the next couple of days is with an exacto knife, I want you to read your Bible and cut them all out because you're telling me you're uncomfortable with things that God has revealed is true about him. I was like, oh, that is kind of strange, right? So sometimes the sovereign, all-powerful creator of the universe tells us something is true and maybe we don't agree with it or maybe we don't like it. I mean, I might not like gravity. Maybe I want to be able to, in my free will, float around wherever I want. I don't want it to be difficult to jog, okay? Uh, I want to walk off of the edge of the roof of this building and kind of like float through space across town. It doesn't matter. I will fall every single time, suck straight to this earth and break things. So we approach the word, when we understand that God first loves us in a very legitimate individual way. First, he loves us. And then because of his love for us, he has communicated to us what we need to know about him in this book. He's told us true things. Sometimes he's told us hard truths, just like you tell a child. Hey, little Jimmy, the stove is hot. Don't touch it. Every kid learns this lesson the same way, right? Right? So mom and dad aren't around, you like tell me not to touch the stove. You scorch your hand. Oh, gosh, if I had only listened. We don't have to learn by experience a lot of times. A lot of it is right there in the word if we would just believe it. So knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that he starts off by reminding us that he loves us, we can refocus just like he's calling these people to through Malachi. so maybe the the israelite would hear a warning to repentance and maybe be lulled into inaction because they know they're in the lineage of abraham right maybe they think oh i'm good i'm israel apparently they did apparently that's what jesus was talking about apparently that's what paul wrote basically romans 9 about and so god then through malachi points to the two brothers who are both in the same line and says, one I loved and the other, you're going to struggle with this, I hated him. So that they would snap to and go, wait a minute, I'm trusting in being found in Abraham. And he's saying these two people who are both in Abraham, he loved one, but he hated the other. Maybe I should pay attention to what I'm being called to so that I understand who God is. Because then God sovereignly elected one to love and the other to hate. And so to make the point further, he satisfied the prophecy that we read earlier in Ezekiel 25, and he laid to permanent waste Edom, Esau's people and land. The Lord said, in fact, they may even try to build it back up. I'll tear it down. And people are going to call it the wicked country. The people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your eyes will see this. Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now remember, this is the book that in our canon is going to close off the Old Testament. And it's starting to hint forward about going beyond the border of Israel. Every tribe, tongue, and nation This is going to expand. The kingdom of God is now going to expand outside of these people who he has chosen to deliver this message through, to set aside, to set apart, to live according to the law, and to fail time and time and time again. Like if you start feeling like, gosh, if I could just follow God's law, I would be saved. Look at everyone who's ever tried. So we're encouraged then to refocus, even as as New Testament Christians, to refocus, looking back at this powerful display of God's love and His sovereignty and election. So I want to encourage you to spend time this week in Second Peter and be encouraged by the message that comes just before Romans 9, in Romans 8, 38, and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I don't know if you notice how redundant and continuous that is. It's though God is making a point, really forcing you to see this. Neither life nor Death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Guess what that means? Not even yourself. You exist inside creation. Can you separate yourself from the love of God in Christ? No, you cannot. A sovereign God, if a sovereign God has decided you are his elect, you will not choose. You may not choose for something else. Nothing in all creation will separate you from the love of God in Christ. If that's uncomfortable, I want you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, and go ahead and freely cut it out if that's what you need to do. But it still won't change the fact that a sovereign God says it's true. So let's focus here. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities... You will never fail. Let's practice them. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word, your truth. God, we thank you that we, a fallen, feeble creature who really can't even understand love, who fall in and out of it, are bound by your sovereignty. God, that you first loved us with your perfect will and character. That nothing in all of creation can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. The rulers, not even ourselves.